The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning, everyone, and welcome to worship. My name is Meg McGuire, and I have the privilege of being the ministerial intern this year here at the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. After this week of endings and beginnings, delight and relief, it is especially good to be together in this way, to reflect and renew, to imagine and look forward, and to pause in what grounds and sustains us. Whether you're a longtime member, this is your first time here, or anything in between, we're so glad you're here. I wanna take a moment before we begin to appreciate the so many people who are instrumental in bringing this service together. From the team who manages the technology that supports this live stream, Jonathan Silk on AV and tech, Shuli Ong and Eric Shackelford who are running our cameras, Joe Chapeau who's monitoring our chat this morning, and Alex Dar hosting our Zoom coffee hour after the service that you are all most invited to join us for. Also, those instrumental in preparing and beautifying our space are Sexton, Thomas Brown, Judy Payne for the beautiful flowers, and the so many people who bring together the music. Our organist, Reiko Odelaine, who we just heard from, Mihua Steger on piano and soloist this morning, and our other soloists, Leandra Ram, Brielle Marina Nielsen, Ben Rudiak Gould and Asher Davidson. And Mark Sumner, of course, our choir director who brings together these offerings. And this morning, I'm joined by our worship associate, Richard Davis Lowell, and our senior minister, Reverend Vanessa Rush Southern, who will be leading us in worship. Lastly, of course, thank you to all of you. And as we have each Sunday since March, we begin by lighting our blue candle in honor of you who may not be here in body, but whose presence and spirit we feel here with us nevertheless.
Now will you join me in the lighting of our chalice? We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. If this is your first time watching, we're so glad you're here. You can follow along in the order of service, which is available in the description of this video and on our website. It's also emailed to everyone who receives our newsletter. So if you don't receive our newsletter yet, you can sign up. You'll find the link to do that also in the description of this video on our website and in the order of service. Today, and just about every week after worship, we'll be hosting a Zoom coffee hour where you can connect more deeply with others in this community in small groups of three or four people. The link again is in the description of this video um, and Joe Chapeau toward the end of the service will post it into our chat. So we hope you'll consider joining us. Also in your order of service, you'll find an extensive list of opportunities to connect with others in this community. Opportunities to learn and to practice and grow together. So invite you to read through in your order of service and to join any of these opportunities that are of interest to you. I'll point out just a few for today. Um, today after worship, the humanists and non-theists will be hosting a discussion about scientific and technological solutions that can prevent future pandemics. They'll begin as usual at 1 p.m. in the Zoom link in your order of service. And this week as usual, you're invited to join in the morning meditations hosted over Zoom or evening yoga on Wednesday nights, which are great opportunities to ground in practice with some guidance from experts who are members of this community. And the Aloha auction is almost here. As you may know, the auction raises much of the income that we depend on to support the works and ministries of this congregation. So it's even more important this year than ever. The online silent auction will begin on January 29th and continue through February 4th, excuse me. And the deadline for donations is coming up before that, of course, on January 26th. Don't forget, too, that the live auction will be on February 5th from 7 to 8 p.m. So to whet your appetite for the upcoming auction, here's a special video announcement. Oh, oh I think with my cornhole socks you gave me for Christmas, I'm gonna get it. Let's right see, here. let's see. Oh! <laughs> Biden and you know, Kamala Harris. It's inaugural cornhole day. Red and blue together and blue. having fun. Maybe we could come up with an auction item that we're calling cornhole with the clergy. Cocktails and cupcakes. And it's going to be here where I have been joining my neighbors for cocktail hour during COVID. And it's gonna be available for you to come to as soon as COVID is over. It's like a celebration of post-lockdown joyousness. And the cool thing is, this is gonna be one of the silent auction items. So that means that you can go online when the auction opens and you can bid, bid often and bid high because 
It's quite a chance to play cornhole with the clergy. And there are lots of great items, and you have to bid that whole week, end of January to early February. But also register for the Friday, February 5th, live auction, seven items, and a fund to need, which you'll hear about. Fantastic night of offerings and a chance to raise money for the church. It's really important for us, especially now, to come together in all these different ways. So, so we can't wait to play with you at the auction. Yeah, we can't wait to play cornhole with you. I've heard you with us. that exciting possibility now in all of our minds, I invite you to deepen a bit more into worship together, singing through our meditation on breathing. You can find the words in your order of service and our musicians will lead us through. So soak it in and join in as you like. We'll sing it through a few times. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in. I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. Will you join me in our spoken covenant followed by our sung Doxology, both in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another.
I woke early and baked vanilla cupcakes with white icing, red, white, and blue, stars and stripes and sparkles. I ate three of them before noon. I had work to do, but I squeezed in as much as possible to watch the events. Did any of you watch? And how that day and since, when I've checked in with family and friends and members of this community, so many of us talk about feeling lighter, about finally being able to exhale, about in the days to follow, that followed that one, getting up and realizing that we don't have to brace ourselves before tuning into the news, the news that was an assault, literally, to some groups, and also to our shared values, to our best heritage as a nation to any number of things that we considered sacred, beautiful, worthy, and good, that were defiled or at threat of it. I realize that what I'm describing may not actually true is not true for everyone in the US. A significant portion would probably not echo what I'm saying that I heard from many of you, but I think for many of us in this community, we have been people living with what felt like a traumatic reality. Children in an abusive home. We woke daily to trauma, we braced for it, we fought back on some days, sometimes beaten down and feeling powerless to it, we shut down, sometimes we fled to too much drink or drug or TV or whatever we could access to numb what we were feeling in the restrictions of COVID life when so many other things, sadly, so many other places of renewal and escape and connection were closed off to us. I just wanted to name all of that. Not that it is entirely over, and for some folks, the trauma in this nation is ongoing and centuries old. But some has ceased this week for a while. And I want to use our time of remembrance and commitment and prayer and silence to hold what we have held and endured. Recognizing there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes. We ring our gong today in honor of four years of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong for immigrants, many still in detention camps separated from their families and for people of color assaulted repeatedly in body and in spirit, by violence and by bigoted words and deeds, 
for trans, non-binary, and gender-expansive people, and for all LGBTQ people. For those who worry about the earth, believe in international cooperation and powerful peacemaking that diplomacy built and strengthened over decades alone makes possible. For women, for the simple love of and respect for the truth, for democracy, our republic, ideals and institutions we agree to sacrifice our lives for as others have before us, for lives that deserve to be free of fear, oppression, poverty, and the hope that those in power would speak for and fight for protect the least among us. For over 400,000 Americans who have lost their lives so far to COVID-19 and all the suffering made worse by the mishandling of this pandemic. For all this, and more, we ring our gong four times. For four years, ended this last week. And we hold one another in our thoughts and in our prayers, and ease the tide of hurt toward healing this coming week howsoever we can. I invite you to stretch <clears throat> your arms high and circle wide. I invite you to roll your shoulders deep and back and up. Feel the settling. I invite you to turn your neck from left to right, 
I invite us all to surrender into this body we have for a moment. Feel ourselves uplifted by the chair or by the ground we stand on. Breathe deep and release. Relax just a little back into life. Can you feel some bracing unclench? Let it do so. Can you feel those shoulders that have permission to release down a little limber and soft enough to carry the normal load of a day? Let us come back into our bodies. Let some of our fear or outrage drain from our head through our feet. Let it leave us make room for spirit, energy, We can be watchful, but maybe a little less despairing today. Reminded in these years of what despairing and fear feels like. Enough to know that no one should have to live in a body or a world caught in its grip, tight, tired, terrorized. Knowing and holding how many still do live in our city and our nation and our globe in this way. And so spirit of life, help us to step back into life with arms a little wider open, not in protective, defensive crossing. Back into complicated life with its pandemic challenges to health and finances and well-being. Recall us to what is good, where we know it, in our bones. Reminded of what we almost lost by what we did lose and who we lost to. May we wake in the days and months ahead a little more alive to serve with all the life and freedom and joy and protections restored. May we wake more alive and determined 
that as the poet radiant and prophetic set on Wednesday morning, because being an American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. May our healing call and enable us for reclaiming what we love in ourselves first, in one another, in our nation, a little more each new day. For these and all the prayers and hopes worries and petitions that we bring to this hour we pray amen Take it all.
do I know what I know about God? What I feel. You've always been there for me inside, speaking to me in a way only I can hear. And what about today? I don't pray as nearly as much as I used to. I wonder if you're, you're really there for me or if you're something my mind's made up to comfort me. I don't really believe that, but I'm thinking about it. I don't believe we're alone, but I'm together with others in not knowing. My connectedness with you comes in community in shared experiences, in working things out in groups, like group therapy. That's what I know. And still, I long for your presence just for me. I reach for you during my most pressing trials. Bill's surgery, mom's cancer diagnosis, my own struggles day in and day out. And you've always been with me, like a prayer. This morning, this share, this is my prayer to you. How long ago was it when we met? I was a child when I asked you for something that only children do, and you answered in a way only you can. Not immediately, and not with magic, fire, or smoke, but with a presence that said, with kindness and gentleness, I am with you. You are not alone. Today, I experience you, your presence in, in music, in art, in quiet moments with family. When I come upon something beautiful, in the faces and gentle nudges of friendly dogs, in connections that pass briefly between me and other beings, in worship service where your names are chanted, spoken, invoked, even by those who may not be convinced you're there, in the struggle to make sense out of the short number of years I have left in the wondering about, out of all the possible moments that have been and that will be after I'm gone, what could have possibly called me into being at this very moment in this time and place? Why was I born? Why am I here? What should I be doing that gives honor and recognition and understanding of the impossible series of events that resulted in my presence on this earth at this time. A woman, a friend, a minister, Reverend Penny Nixon once preached that she believed that all we have of you is presence, not miracles, not magic, but presence. That works for me. Out of that presence springs action that brings your purpose directly to me, the comforting word, acceptance of others, the invitation to belong and to participate, and forgiveness, especially forgiveness. 
Sometimes I'm not so nice. Sometimes I need forgiving. But your presence, made personal by so much that I encounter, sustains me. I understand that it may be all in my mind, but that's all I have. Deep in my soul, deep in me, resides a place you've occupied since I can remember. Battered and windblown, life continues around me, but all I need to do is reach for that special place and you're there in my darkest hour, reminding me that I am not forgotten, I am not forsaken, that you are here with me today and always, and that reminder restores me and helps me see another day. Where do I see you? Where do I need to look? In those around me, my husband's kind words, his patience with me, the connections I share with my brothers and sister, with my family of choice, with Duane and Henry, and even Steve, Chris and her husband. In moments too numerous to count, your presence in my life occupies space in my interactions, making itself known to me when I need it most, a kind word, a laugh, a reminder that I am loved. That is the nature of my experience of you today. In this place, with its soaring walls, beautiful music, and community that has made the space sacred. Maybe my friend Penny was right. All we have, all I have of you, dear God, is your presence in those around me. And as is boldly inscribed on our sanctuary walls, your spirit resides in me. And for that, I'm grateful.
of the work he undertook and laid out in his lectures and then publication of the material in his book, The Varieties of Religious Experience. William James wrote, the problem I have set myself is a hard one. First, to defend experience against philosophy as the real backbone of the world's religious life. And second, to make the hearer or reader believe what I myself invincibly do believe, that although the special manifestations of religion may have been absurd, by that I mean its creeds and theories, yet the life of it as a whole is mankind's most important function. Here ends our reading.
that William James thought would help us get through this world as best we could. William James wasn't sure he'd really ever had any experiences of God, but he said he had had an experience of being laid low in life, and that gave him a vision of what this way to make life better might be. It was one where he stood facing the abyss of despair. He describes that experience in his book, Varieties of the Religious Experience, disguises it, though, as a personal story shared with the author by an unnamed Frenchman, though James would later acknowledge the story as his own. The Frenchman tells of coming into his dressing room at twilight one evening. Quote, when suddenly there fell upon me without any warning, just as if it had come out of the darkness, a horrible fear of my own existence. The man said that the fear of dread stayed with him for days. He woke with it like a pit in his stomach until eventually the feeling passed. But though it passed, he never did forget that feeling of fear and existential dread. And forever, he said, he had sympathy for those who felt likewise. I've always thought that this experience of melancholia of mine, wrote James, had a religious bearing. Asking himself why he thinks so, James, the Frenchman, talks of how in that moment, a few different lines of scripture came to him, and he describes how he clung to them, I would say almost like life preservers in a storm, and without which he is sure he would have lost his mind. Experiences of God, of the holy, something that breaks through and rescues us from deep moments of brokenness, fear, or loss, is one classic story in human religious literature through the ages. Which is to say, in times of great duress, people often report this kind of breaking in and something, a voice, a presence, a light, a figure, a burning bush, a line of scripture or of song, something feels to them like it hooks them and pulls them out of the abyss. And that experience is enough in that moment to allow them to go on, but also something that shifts or changes their relationship to the world. Perhaps just the fact that something felt like it reached in to them something powerful and personal out there in the universe, it gives them a different relationship to the world, often just that that carries them forward, carries them through incredible life trials even, again and again even. I know. I've had such an experience. Yet, talking with Unitarian Universalists about this territory of religious experience I have observed can be very fraught. To begin with, many of us came to this tradition because traditional notions 
of religion didn't resonate with us. So being presented back with them and asked to hold them is something we can, well, resent sometimes. Aren't we free of that stuff we wonder and brace? And I would argue many of us came to Unitarian Universalism because traditional notions of a presence we would call God, of grace, of rescue, of redemption are not experiences we personally have had and so understandably cannot relate to or believe in. It's hard, after all, to believe in something you haven't seen or felt for yourself. That would be a leap of faith, and we take those very cautiously, as I think we often should. We are, many of us, Jamesian religious folks, I would argue. Like him in the reading, we distrust often institutions, their dogma, or at least we put all of that second to personal experience. Or, or more broadly, you might say, we preference personal knowing. Knowing is a complicated concept, religiously speaking. There is knowing in a secular sense that we're all familiar with, right? like knowing where the supermarket is, or knowing that if 3x plus 5 equals 11, then x must equal 2, or knowing how the makeup of a substance is revealed in its mass spectrometry pattern. But we do have other kinds of knowing, too. Ones I think we talk less about, and that aren't nearly as scientific, ones I would argue that influence our lives as powerfully or even more so. These are ways of knowing that are harder to explain or describe, mushier perhaps, to use a technical term. I wish we had another word for this kind of knowing, but we don't in English, not one I can think of. In Greek, though, there is this word gnosis that might suffice. Gnosis meant knowledge or awareness. And historically, it meant knowing of a personal kind. Later, gnosis would sometimes come to mean knowledge of God or mystical truths, but I wish we could leave it in that more open-minded, simpler sense of knowledge and awareness of a personal kind. I think there is this set of things that we know that we need a category or deserve a word for. I think you know the experiences I mean. There are so many of them. How many people have told me, for instance, at weddings or vow renewals, of the time they met their spouse or partner and knew immediately in that moment that this relationship, this person, was the one they wanted to spend their life with? My dad is one of those people. He met my mom for the first time at an audition at which they both showed up. And 
He told his friend on the way home in the car that he'd met the woman he was going to marry. Fifty years later, his knowing is still proving true. My husband did the same thing. How many people have I met who have come to this city of San Francisco or the Bay Area and said they knew it was the place they were meant to be? One came as a boy and told me he planned and schemed for years how to get back, finally convincing his very East Coast, apparently very controlling mother, that the residency he needed for his field could only be completed excellently here in San Francisco, and so made his escape. Another, a woman who came in her 40s, told me about how she went home and laid plans for changing jobs and uprooting that took her a full year to make happen. And both of them spent the rest of their lives in a city that they knew was home the moment they set foot here at 10, at 40. There are people who know what they were meant to do in life. Feel it the first time they do it or see it. A childhood friend of mine from when I was little in L.A. who picked up a guitar at age five and never put it down, not really, never wanted to do anything else, and who's now an award-winning composer and professional jazz musician. We are people who can feel called, not interested, but called to a profession, to a person, to a place. And in ways that for us are not rational, not explicable, but also unshakable. This to me is the knowing that I'm talking about. I'd imagine many wouldn't call such moments religious, but they are moments of anchoring, aren't they? Of life-changing understanding. And to those who have them, when they have them, for a long time after they have them, maybe forever, these moments often feel important at a level and in a way that can also be hard to convey, except to people, perhaps, who have also had such moments. There are other types of this knowing or gnosis that maybe deserve a moment of mention. Moments, for instance, of knowing about a value or a commitment, something about life that becomes unshakable for you. I think of Martin Luther King Jr. and his exposure to nonviolence, which was a strategic choice for many, but one for him which came not as a strategic choice, but as a commandment from inside the moment he heard about it and was exposed to it unshakably. I think of what Richard Davis Lowell shared this morning when he talked about 
a kind of knowing, this presence that he felt, that he calls God, that goes in and out of his life, that he connects to at different times and in different ways, and maybe cannot explain, but he knows, even when he feels its absence, even in the face of his own doubts, he knows exists, that something exists that he is deeply connected to and in relationship to. I know that experience too, the ins and outs of it. For others, that sense of connection comes in nature, often with this surrendered sense of being part of it in the stories I've listened to from many. This experience of not being human and separate, but being part of this thing, this breathing, living, growing, dying, whole natural system, life entity, maybe in a moment that we know we're connected to in ways that the rational mind will sometimes blur with ego and its illusions, but once or many times, standing on a mountaintop or laying back at the nighttime stars and looking at them and being lost in them or dangling our feet in the river, that we knew the real truth that is deeper and truer than the lie of separateness, that we are part of all of this, and it changes us. The strength of such moments is that although their imprint will lighten over time, as it did for James, that sense that we knew something, knew something that we should not forget, stays with us. These moments, these experiential moments of knowing are commanding of the whole of us. And more so in my experience than any argument or book learning. Though I wonder if that scares a lot of us to admit or allow without censure or worry or disdain. Michael Pollan in his book, How to Change Your Mind, which many of us are reading and going to discuss this week for the Minister's Book Club, he talks about the history of another group of such moments. There is a wide array of them. And here's one thing about them I want to argue for. These moments I'm talking about, however they come to us, they're not irrational. In fact, In my experience, often what truths come to us make great sense, since we even could argue for that all life is interconnected, for example. That experience at the river, looking at the stars, that, for instance, is right, rational. And in fact, if we all lived it, if that experience and If unity and interconnection was one we lived, we'd be in a much safer place with respect to life on this planet. Those moments of knowing are not irrational. Not always. What they are, I would say, is trans-rational. That is to say, they come to us as a knowing that is a knowing without argument. 
In fact, they often feel like they come from a deeper, wiser place within ourselves or from the world. We almost always recognize their wisdom and truth and when we have them, we don't often feel the need to know from whence they came. We just feel lucky to have been gifted them and a desire to anchor ourselves and our lives in them. We recognize them, Plato might say, like old friends we forgot, old truths we forgot. We know things, you and I. There is this whole category of experience of things we know and know someplace deep and rooted. And I don't know exactly why I wanted to talk about that this morning, except, except that I feel like for four years, all the things we knew in our bones, many of us, all the work we have done over the course of our lives, honing that deep awareness and presence and connection, that work to stay connected to those kinds of things and be open to revelation and wisdom from the deepest places, that it has been under a bombardment of desensitization and hurt and damage. Feels that way to me. And coming back from trauma then, maybe it's religiously important. Healing, super important. Coming back into our bodies, important. Reconnecting in trusting relationships, important. Nurturing civil conversations in our communities and kind and respectful engagements that let us be open in our posture with one another. All this feels important. Places all of the postures of ego and fear and hate. All of those postures, I'm pretty sure, block this gnosis or knowing and at our peril. And so to cast them off as fast as possible is important because we need for the parts of me and the parts of you that can feel that fierce draw of the good and can recognize and connect with truth that comes to us and beauty that claims us. We need to get back there be alive to all of that as much as possible, as fast as we can, and anchor there. All those places that at our best we sing about, like we have this morning and will in our closing hymn, that we witness and celebrate that we courageously live in our commitments, that we yearn to speak of and know it in the poetry of hearts alive to the deepest of life.
So in that spirit, let's close this morning. Let's close in words that witnessed this week to some of those true, beautiful, and good ideas we knew in our bones were true. Let's close with words from the young, gorgeous, and prophetic poet, Amanda Gorman, who said on Wednesday morning, may we rebuild, reconcile, recover. And every nook of our nation and every corner called our country, our people diverse and beautiful emerge battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade of flame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light. If only we're brave enough to see it. If only we're brave enough to be it. I trust we will know it when it breaks. Amen. Let's sing of some of the truths we know in our bones. Let's sing a hymn that is apparently being considered as our national anthem or there are some movements afoot to make a change. Let's sing words we know in our bones are true. Lift every voice and sing. Oh, 
comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.
The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.